Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. August is underway, and it's a great month for sports. If you're into sports betting, Bet Online is where you can find it. From baseball's marquee matchups to the upcoming college football season, Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip off, face off, or pitch, Head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast. Today is Monday, August 2nd, 2021. Wishing you a great month. And as always, appreciate you listening in. We have a very interesting uh, show today where we're going to be talking about what name, image, and likeness means for agents, attorneys, and colleges. So this is something that uh, I had had a discussion with uh, with an agent colleague of mine who uh, works in the NFL space, and we had this great discussion where we were talking about how some of these tech platforms and some of the advancements in technology and some of these new businesses that are entering into the college representation or college sort of uh, business space, if you will, and how that's going to have an effect on maybe the more traditional model of working with college athletes. So it, it is interesting because I think that in the normal model, right, you'd have something along the lines where an agent uh, works with a college athlete towards the end of their um, college career or even during it, but obviously with the rules in place of, you know, you can't accept anything of value, receive anything of value, and uh, you obviously cannot uh, sign a contract. But of course, conversations are not illegal, right? So conversations do happen and, and frankly are probably encouraged because you at least want to know where you're going and what you're doing. And having good advice is important in life, uh, regardless of what uh, industry uh, you're in. But especially in sports as the folks who uh, make it to the big leagues, so to speak, uh, are uh, looking for good advice and need good advice. They're going to be making big decisions, and uh, those big decisions tend to revolve around finances, money, and uh, big life decisions. And so uh, this new name, image, and likeness model has presented an opportunity now where you have agents and attorneys uh, working with college athletes at an earlier time and doing it to where they can accept things of value when it comes to working with brands. But of course, the rules are still in play when it comes to agents and attorneys offering anything of value or the players receiving anything of value when it comes to uh, working with different athletes and uh, working with different agents. And of course, this was the big issue. There was a lot of uh, a lot said on social media and otherwise with regard to Reggie Bush and uh, his involvement with uh, the family receiving things of value and the allegations that occurred there 
and uh, some of the um, factual information that came out from that uh, from that situation. And although we love Reggie Bush, he's a great guy and, and um, you know, obviously a great athlete as well and, and uh, has been a good person in, in the community. A lot of people have tried to make the comparison to say, well, you know, maybe we should give him back the Heisman and, you know, uh, be reinstated for all intents and purposes. But the difference here in my mind is, is an important one. And it's that if you're receiving something of value for selling your name, image, and likeness, that's one thing. And that's now approved by the NCAA and approved by uh, many states. But as we talked about last week, rights of publicity were already on the books years, years and years ago. In California, for example, Civil Procedure Code on Rights of Publicity existed since I think it was 1971. So, and of course, rights of publicity go back longer than that. But I think the difference here is now the NCAA has opened up uh, the opportunity here. And of course, the allegations and some of the factual uh, things that came out of the Reggie Bush situation were that he received something of value for working with a certain agent or agency. It wasn't that he was being paid for his name, image, and likeness. So I think that there is a distinction there. Now, that being said, I think maybe the larger point that Reggie Bush was making, which I think is important, is this idea that if the situation was different and if he was working with, let's say, an agent and they were allowed to get name, image, and likeness deals, it probably removes the incentive uh, to get paid to work with a certain agent because there's money there on the table. And as we'll go through today's uh, podcast, we'll see that it is indeed easier to make money now. And uh, they're starting to see some numbers come around with regard to this. And, uh, you know, again, so I think the incentive might be removed, but there's, there's definitely some things that are occurring. And uh, when it comes to sort of the effect of uh, name, image, and likeness, and, uh, it's one of those things where a few weeks back, we talked about the, the NIL marketplace. And I think there's some truths to be taken out of what's occurred. I, I think that um, obviously, number one, social media is important. I think social media is the, probably the number one reason why we're even talking about name, image, and likeness, as every athlete now, now has their own personal broadcast channel. I think that um, state law ultimately pushed the NCAA. This has been admitted by NCAA President Mark uh, Emeritt, who has said that California's Fair Play to Play Act really was the catalyst in getting things moving to eventually have the NCAA approve uh, of a name, image, and likeness type scenario. But that all being said, there's eventually going to be a, a, a full-on um, uh, sort of uh, program when it comes to how the NCAA is going to enforce this, obviously a lot of compliance issues. Um, so, but, you know, all good things, right? All good things in the sense of uh, looking at ways to sort of regulate this and to, um, you know, keep things in check. But I think that's another sort of factual thing that's come out of this. I think that there's obviously different state laws when it comes to uh, what states are doing with regard to name, image, and likeness. Uh, I think that uh, it makes sense that ultimately that states uh, took the path on this and that Congress uh, is not uh, taking the sort of lead with, with regard to name, image, and likeness and having some sort of national structure. We do live in a constitutional republic that I think that makes sense. 
you know, all, all rights are pretty much reserved to the state unless it's, you know, specifically spelled out in the constitution or through some sort of amendment to the constitution. I think that, um, or through some sort of federal statute that's approved, right. And not being challenged in, uh, in court. I think that the marketplace for college athletes has potential to be very big. And, you know, generally in these deals, you, you're taking either product or you're taking um, equity in a company, or you're taking some sort of payment. Sometimes it's a mixture of the three or two of the three options, two or three buckets, if you will. Uh, we had uh, Casey Schwab, who's the CEO of um, Altia Sports Partners on a little while back, and he talked about those three different buckets. But ultimately, the name, image, and likeness marketplace is all about uh, social media, and it's all about how social media is going to be the catalyst for brands to work with athletes. And I think that's what brings us sort of to uh, the current point, which is how tech and platforms are going to affect the traditional relationships between agents, attorneys, and colleges. So we'll go through this a little bit here. And there is one little caveat I wanted to mention, which is something that I think many people uh, sort of looked forward and, and saw that this might happen. Well, now it looks like a lot of the high school athletes are going to be able to profit from their name, image, and likeness as well. And this is beyond the overtime elite league, which we've talked about, which is going to pay high school basketball players, which is essentially going to remove them from high school basketball in the traditional sense, put them into a separate league, but they'll obviously still be able to go to school. They just won't be able to play in those leagues because they'll getting, they'll be getting paid until, or, you know, if they change that rule. Uh, but I think, again, there's a difference between getting paid to play and getting paid for your name, image, and likeness, which is off the field stuff. But with these high school athletes, a lot of states around the country and local conferences have basically said, and local high schools have said that these high school athletes can profit from a name, image, and likeness. Uh, and by the way, this is also separate from the Professional Pathways League, uh, which is created by the G League uh, for the um, NBA, which is formerly the Development League. But uh, that's a program that pays um, high school graduates to come in and basically skip the NCAA and uh, get into the minor leagues, if you will, for the NBA. But you know, ultimately, these high school athletes now may now may be able to uh, profit from their name, image, and likeness. Uh, I think again, that's going to be very specific to state law, to local conference regulations. Uh, here in California, would be the CIF, but um, and then of course um, local high school regulations, right? But uh, that is opening up. There are some opportunities there. There are some companies that are moving in that space, but. Um, there's definitely some interesting things happening there. But of course, uh, this is all made available by social media and technology. And we now have uh, technology companies and other new companies that are providing services, particularly like Altia Sports Partners or uh, Open Doors on the tech side, where they're coming in, they're saying, hey, we have these platforms and or we can provide education uh, to the players and to the staff as to how this is going to work. We even have uh, some colleges and some high schools, particularly colleges, that are actually beginning to control their own media. Uh, looks like Clemson, uh, once their deal, television deal uh, wraps up, they're going to be looking at going internal and having a Clemson station. Uh, 
which you know can obviously provide you know basically all the money that comes in can come directly to them. There's no sharing. Uh, that can be difficult in a conference setting, but uh, Texas is an example. University of Texas is an example, which is now obviously joining the SEC along with uh, University of Oklahoma. We'll see what happens to the rest of the Big 12, but uh, a lot of colleges can are sort of taking the approach of going internal and saying, let's manage this for the college athletes. And uh, by the way, let's take a percentage of the money that we're bringing in while at the same time having compliance over what's going on. So again, I mentioned Altia Sports Partners. There's some other companies that are, that are out there that are doing this with regard to NIL in terms of policy, branding, finance, and relationships. So definitely something to follow. But with these new platforms coming in, uh, like Open Doors and like Altius, it in many ways either complements or replaces the former relationship of agent working with player and um, or and or attorney working with uh, player. Now, initially, you could make the argument that all NIL was going to do was move move the clock up. So instead of working with, um, you know, Zion Williamson uh, right before the draft and trying to get shoe deals for him, this is something that might happen a year prior where you're having the conversation, but maybe you don't launch the brand until, you know, some point and you don't announce it at some point. But again, there's going to be restrictions here. For example, in California with the Fair Pay to Play Act, you cannot have a brand that competes with the underlying university. So this likely means, and again, we'll figure out how this plays out, but it likely means that if a school is signed to Nike or Jordan, we'll use UCLA as an example. If they're signed to Nike or Jordan, they're not going to be able to go out. Players are not going to be able to sign a deal with Adidas. And if they do sign, it's going to be kept under wraps. They're not going to be able to promote that stuff with anything to do with the university. And there might even be prohibitions in the underlying contract with the university, uh, which there would be incentive to do because ultimately the brand, Nike, Adidas, whoever it is, uh, Puma or Under Armour, is going to want to make sure that the athletes who are at the underlying university are either indirectly or directly promoting um, that athletic apparel, right? So definitely not going to be able to wear any athletic apparel different from the school on the field. Off the field, that's another question. I, I still think they're going to limit that and not allow that to happen. I think most of these deals and what we've seen have been uh, they're signing shoe deals after they declare for the draft, or they're signing some sort of cryptocurrency, or they're doing uh, some sort of brand partnership. And again, there's going to be limitations on, you know, not being able to do CBD stuff, uh, not being able to do alcohol, uh, not being able to do any sort of like the sin industries, right? So there's still going to be some regulations on this, but these platforms and technology really do change the debt. The dynamic, right? Because if, for example, we take the open door deal uh, where they signed a deal with Twitter, well, Twitter has already negotiated uh, brand um, commitments with, let's say, Nike. And so they have Nike on the platform. Well, ultimately, athlete goes to the open doors platform, says, oh, I want to uh, sponsor or be endorsed by Nike. Okay. Well, then Nike is already in the platform the athlete opts into uh, the program and to work with a certain brand. And then next thing you know, uh, they're signing up through this platform, which they can probably attach their bank account to, and they can get paid directly. And then Twitter is distributing the video or whatever content on the platform. 
and then of course the student gets paid. Well, nowhere in that is the attorney or agent involved unless they're helping to negotiate whatever terms those are. But it could also be that the platform just has the terms automatic and you just sign up, the terms are what they are. And I think for the most part, the terms are gonna be pretty straightforward because generally the platforms are going to pay based on followers, right? They're not gonna pay based on anything other than that. And so if you have good followers and good engagement, you're gonna get paid you know, X dollars per follower. Now, that being said, obviously, if you're wanting a more complex deal and you wanna take equity in a company, you wanna take a product, you wanna take more than just getting paid, well, then uh, obviously you're gonna need an attorney or an agent. So I still think attorneys and agents are gonna have a huge role in this. I think um, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats, right? And you bring in new partners, you need more compliance, you need more sort of access to information. So I don't think it necessarily uh, hurts attorneys. I think that it, and, and agents, I think that it just opens up additional opportunities and, uh, and frankly gives people options. And, and that in my mind is a good thing. Uh, in a, a sort of capitalist market, I think, um, you know, having options is a good thing. So, you know, we mentioned obviously these NIL platforms. Uh, We've mentioned the idea of uh, universities working directly with companies to provide either an in-house NIL program, uh, an in-house sort of program where they can bring in, um, you know, partners or bring in um, education, that sort of thing, or even manage a platform uh, and sort of take this idea of, um, you know, taking a percentage, or you have a complementary approach, which sort of is the Twitter and open doors example where you're working with brands directly. Um, sort of, I think that for uh, the first model, that's probably, um, and sort of the second model, I would say is probably the more um, disruptive in the sense that the second model with open doors and Twitter really takes, it's so, it should be fairly simple and straightforward that it may take um, the middleman out of it being sort of an agent or an agency or attorneys, uh, that sort of thing. It's just going to be direct or even the marketing people for the uh, brand. It's just going to be here. It's set up, do it. Now, of course, not everybody's going to be looking for that approach. You might want something more specific. You might want a different brand. Not every brand's going to be inside that platform, right? But I think the best way to look at this is that the open doors model is kind of like Salesforce, uh, this idea that it manages information you know, you can participate in it. And then ultimately it opens up opportunities uh, if you can find a distributor like Twitter. We obviously talked about overtime elite, what that does for, um, you know, high school basketball players. I think what is interesting about this is that the open door strategy, when we talk about with open doors and with Twitter, which is a platform, which you, you know, basically log into and you have your content in there, not your content, but your platform and your, um, information and you can, you know, uh, review information, you can share information, uh, you can meet other parties in it, and then you can sort of decide how you're going to distribute, uh, an endorsement or sponsorship, um, relationship. But I think the strategy with open doors is that you bring in a built-in alignment, uh, resources and audiences. So for example, the Twitter partnership is defined, uh, consumers as followers on their social media platform, right? You need, you know, if content is king, uh, distribution is queen, and she wears the pants, as Jonathan Perelman would say, right? Now, with the overtime partnership, which Open Doors also signed, 
Um, they signed with uh, Overtime Elite, uh, the parent company. Uh, parent company Overtime is the parent company for Overtime Elite. They signed a partnership with Overtime. And uh, what that does is it provides athletic talent. So you have all these high school basketball stars who now have a platform they can go to to um, have their information managed. And then in turn, they can go to Twitter to have videos or content, pictures, whatever, distributed. Um, it, it's sort of a very interesting model, but it's something that makes it very easy for the athlete to make money directly and get paid directly. So uh, it is interesting that Open Doors has also uh, teamed up with individual universities um, to provide this sort of content similar to the Altia Sports Partners model. Um, and then of course, uh, Influencer, which is another group, which is uh, uh, the um, acronym is I. I-N-F-L-C-R. So Influencer is another company that's similar to Open Doors, but again, it's sort of maybe even more athlete focused in the sense of um, allows the athlete to come, you know, directly in similar to Open Doors, uh, but maybe a little, similar, a, little, a little more sort of athlete direct, I think, um, as opposed to brand direct. But I think that being said, I think Open Doors is definitely making strides into that space, um, but just a little bit different. And then, of course, you have the entrepreneurial approach where you have athletes that are creating platforms uh, to uh, look for ways for uh, athletes to, you know, profit from name, image, and likeness. You even have non-fungible tokens getting involved, NFTs, uh, through different broadcast partners where you have, you know, um, let's say, uh, you know, company that uh, sort of owns uh, broadcast content and then using those NFTs, um, and sort of uh, sharing in um, the uh, sale of the NFT. This is something that's happening too. Um, whether that happens at the professional level is yet to be seen or even the college level. I think it's a possibility. You know, if I was a um, sort of a college administrator and was working on compliance, I might take the, the Wally Crittenden uh, model, which is that uh, he's a gentleman we interviewed while back, he's um, uh, one of the athletic directors, I think he's the athletic director, assist, assistant athletic or associate athletic director for Stephen F. Austin, Austin State University in Texas. And he's really taken the approach of uh, just welcoming and um, encouraging NFTs and really working with the school. And uh, we'll see if that carries over into athletes and how that works with uh, in the college level. But again, these are uh, opportunities that are abound by the use of technology, the use of platforms that is making it easier to um, obviously help grow brands, but also help athletes grow themselves and to open up opportunities. Now, this all being said, I think that, you know, ultimately uh, you're going to need agents and attorneys and agencies, regardless of how you, you splice this up, because even if athletes become more independent and they begin going direct to consumer, you're still going to have a situation where you need good advice. You're still going to have a situation where you're going to need somebody to review a contract and what have you. And I think those relationships are important. And as anybody can tell you, having good advice, regardless of the situation, is going to be helpful. So, um, you know, we'll see how this goes. But it is interesting because we've had, you know, schools like uh, Rutgers and the University of Houston um, uh, really sort of start their own internal programs uh, with regard to um, athlete as the influencer and how those programs are going to come together 
and of course, more and more schools, um, you know, looking at ways to control their own IP when it comes to broadcast and having their own networks. So uh, very, very interesting. We're definitely seeing colleges and athletes uh, sort of act more like the professional leagues, professional athletes, uh, with obviously the dividing line being the fact that athletes are still in school, still getting an education, and uh, schools are still in the business of providing education. So um, we'll sort of see how this all plays out. And I think there's an ongoing question of what amateurism is. Um, I think some people even talked about whether NIL is a good thing. You know, I think that ultimately the model that works is one where I think you have uh, the athlete have some freedom in developing their brand, uh, whether, you know, it just be for their own personal benefit or whether it be financial benefit. I think that's probably the best model, but again, you know, you can have that debate all day long about whether this is a good thing or not. Uh, but um, we're not going to do that today. We're just here to talk about what's going on and um, what NIL means for agents, attorneys, and colleges. And I think that the conclusion of that is that technology has really provided more opportunities. I think technology has opened up some places to where the student athlete can go directly to consumer and work you know, with the brand and with the platform, or they can work through the school, or uh, they can do it on their own and hire an agent, or they can do all, all three. But I think part of this is going to depend on what state law is. Part of this is going to depend on what the NCAA does and what their rule situation looks like. And part of this is going to depend on what individual universities do. Uh, you know, I think it's interesting to see Texas, University of Texas, University of Oklahoma leave for the SEC. I think for them, it's just a better environment. I think obviously the payouts for broadcast is going to be better, but it's definitely going to have an effect on their athletes too, right? I think that the SEC has a brand and I think uh, can't really argue that the SEC, you know, has probably one of the better brands in the country when it comes to college football and uh, most recognizable. And, uh, you know, I think Texas and Oklahoma really leaving the big 12 is going to cause some serious issues there in terms of how they recruit and what's going to go on there. But I think that, um, what we're doing now is that there's the sports sponsorship and endorsement marketplace is really one of expansion. And the way I kind of look at this is imagine all the college athletes uh, that never make it pro or uh, will never equal their collegiate performance. And first person that comes to mind is Tim Tebow, right? Great college athlete, but has not really had uh, that level of success, at the pro level. And you can argue whether that's, um, you know, based on talent or whether it's based on opportunity uh, but, um, I mean, I thought Tim Tebow was a great athlete and, uh, maybe if he was given more of an opportunity, there might be something to be said there, but that being said, um, I think that had he been able to profit from his name, image, and likeness in college, um, I think it would provided him with a ton more opportunities. Now that's not to say he's gone on and been a great success and provided a lot of, um, great opportunities for himself. And he's really opened a lot of doors in the business side and the announcing side. And obviously, um, you know, made the, uh, the effort to get into minor league baseball through the Mets organization. But just imagine those opportunities and what that means uh, for those kids. And I think as long as we can keep the system organized and we can keep it compliant and we can have fair and safe rules and safe opportunities and good opportunities for these, uh, for these college athletes, I think it's a good system. And I think that uh, it's going to be very interesting to follow this going forward and having these folks, you know, frankly, even if they don't make money, 
uh, having college athletes to develop their brands and develop some business skills in that way. Now, again, I think sort of closing thought on this is there's always going to be a market correction. Um, you know, there's always going to be this idea of, you know, additional financial and sort of uh, regulatory uh, compliance. Uh, but uh, this is definitely something that's going to keep the schools busy and it's going to open up some additional opportunities potentially to hire additional people. So um, we'll see how this all plays out, but always appreciate listening in again. I'm your host, Jeremy Evans. Uh, this is the believe in sports law podcast. As always, thank you for making us the number one sports law podcast in the world. And uh, always look forward to uh, being with you and look forward to being back with you next week. Thank you so much. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel and I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.